All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in again. The track you're listening to for the intro track is called Tears of Joy by Angel Wing. Today is an episode that you are not going to want to miss. It is called A Brush with the Supernatural. And in it, we are going to be talking about um, stories that we've collected, either our own or uh, others, that involve encounters with the supernatural or the spiritual in some way. Some spooky, some good, joyful, lighthearted. Um, and, and it can range from a variety of topics. But in any case, these are all true stories. And uh, at the end, we'll kind of talk about some stories that are um, local legends, you know, uh, to, to South Carolina. And um, then, of course, we'll present a question at the end as well. So as you know, we give listeners the option on Spotify to reply to questions that we present at the end of each episode. And you can also reply to those questions on our Facebook page. Um, just look us up, The Sunroom Musings. You'll find us there. And we will post the questions. And you can uh, post your replies to it um, on our Facebook so, um, our, we did get one reply from a Mr. Jeff Wisnan, and w- it was to our Cooking with Kimberly episode, and the question was, um, what kind of recipes do you enjoy cooking over the holidays, or have you collected over the years? And Jeff replied that he likes cooking pork chops with mashed potatoes, with or without gravy, field peas, and biscuits. I gotta agree with you, Jeff. I do love those field peas, and pork chops, if they are done right, are absolutely delicious. So, uh, without further ado, uh, here is your hosts, Kimberly Simmons and Matthew Eldridge. Let's get on with the show. 20 minutes of good puppy. So, this episode... Um, we're starting out kind of with, um, my encounters and starting from the, the earliest that I can remember. And, um, so that was, you know, when I was growing up in my childhood home and, uh, and even before that, we've got a couple stories that came from, um, my grandparents and the house that they lived in. And apparently before I was born, um, the house was haunted, and it was a, a negative spiritual force that was inhabiting the house. And um, a, a priest and his wife were called in to bless the house. And it turns out that uh, that only made the spirit angry. Um, and so they came back another time. And they blessed the house and prayed over it, and the the spirit thankfully left. Um, but I remember my grandmother telling the story that um, that my grandfather woke up in the middle of the night, and he just felt like someone was watching him. And he remembers waking up and looks at the foot of his bed, and there is a hooded dark figure standing at the foot of the bed and it's just glaring at him with eyes of absolute hatred and he is so terrified that he can't move Um, all he can do is pray in the name of Jesus for this spirit to leave and it kind of backs up and fades away into the darkness and that's when they um, decided that they needed to get a priest into the house to bless the house Um, also they had cats at the time and they remembered that the cats would watch 
something walk up and down the hallway and the cats would kind of their gaze would follow the movement of something that everybody else could not see and so that was kind of creepy for them um but thankfully the uh the dark entity that was in the house uh was expelled was um was gotten rid of before i came along and um and so i remember growing up i was in my grandparents house all the time i i never felt you know oppressed or any sort of negative energy in the house at all um but i remember that they had this little um this little library room and uh they had a day bed in there and i would often you know my toys were in there and my books were in there and i always had like a place to sleep or take a nap whenever i came over and there was a big bay window over where the uh, the daybed was, and it kind of looked out onto a garden on the side of their house. And I remember I was just lying there one day. I was about three years old, and I was lying on the daybed, and I was not sleeping. I was just sort of dozing, and I'm lying on my side, so the window's behind me, and I'm looking at a bookshelf on the other side of the room. And I remember that a very tangible golden light came in through the bay window from behind me and it shone in like a ray form in front of the 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 bookshelf in front of me and this figure materialized and it was this brilliant sort of a white golden figure um it was um it was like a man he had uh, long golden hair, um, and I, the best thing that I can liken it to is almost like when you see like an elf from Lord of the Rings, and they've got that brilliant like shining light around them. It was kind of like that, except this entire figure was made of light, and <clears throat> I remember not being afraid. I was just staring up at him, and um, and he's looking down and smiling at me and I, I can tell he's wearing this sort of white robe um with like a, a either a sash in the middle or some sort of golden like belt um and he's smiling down at me and he leans down and kisses me on the forehead and i was never scared never freaked out i felt very relaxed and calm and he stands back up and just the way that he came in, he breaks down into this golden sunlight again and goes back out the window just as he came in. And my parents say that that, that day I ran into the den where my grandparents my parents were sitting and having conversation. And I ran into the room and I said, Mommy, Mommy, an angel kissed me. And um, it's something that I, I remember to this day and I've, I've never forgotten it. It was very vivid. Um, and I, I believe that I saw an angel at that point. Um, so moving on from there, you know, that was a very early age at, at three years old that I remember having this encounter. Um, and, um, after that, there were a couple other encounters that took place that were, uh, very strange and uh, I remember my parents and I were outside in the backyard of our house and it was nighttime and it was um, sometime at the end of summer because uh, I remember we had we'd had the 4th of July and everything and um, the stars were really bright and my mother 
<clears throat> really loved stargazing. Um, and she loved teaching people about the constellations and, and the planets and the stars and everything like that. And so we would always go outside and we'd look up at the stars and she'd be pointing out things to us. And at this point, you know, my, my mother's kind of preoccupied with something else. I guess she's setting up a telescope or something. But my dad and I are looking up at the sky and I remember seeing um, three unidentified objects in the sky and the first one that I saw was like a um, it was like a spinning cloud and it was really fast and it, it just spun across the sky um, and I remember thinking and this was like way faster than any jet or like airplane or helicopter could go I mean it was almost as if you took the uh, the the rotor blades to the helicopter and just edited out the helicopter entirely and you just had rotor blades that were like spinning through the sky and I remember seeing footage of a UFO like this um, on YouTube one day, and I it had been years, and I, I was never able to find anything like that. But when I saw this video, I was like, that's it. I was like, that's what I saw all those years ago looking up at the night sky from my backyard. Now, my dad didn't see that one, um, but we he did see the next one that we saw, um, and this one was enormous. I mean, absolutely gigantic. And it was um, it was just like a boomerang. It was uh, like a delta wing shape. And no, it was not a um, it was not a stealth bomber or a stealth fighter or uh, anything else like that. Um, it was literally if you took a boomerang and you held it up to the night sky, that's what it looked like. However, the interesting thing is that this one was cloaked. Um, and it was like an invisible or like a glass boomerang passed over our backyard. And the only way that you could see it is because the stars behind it would bend um, to its, its uh, convex shape. Um, and so you could tell that it was passing over because these stars behind it would bend um, like it was being distorted by the density of this object or its cloaking device or, or whatever it was. And I remember my dad saw it too. And um, my mother was the kind that, you know, she always wanted to see them with us and, and like never did. And she, I mean, was really jealous that we got to see all these things. My dad was the one who was, you know, he, he wasn't, you know, a fanatic about anything like this, you know. Um, and And so for him to see it, you know, it was one of those things where my mom believed us because my dad was like, oh, no, I saw it, too. And my dad wasn't one for making up tall tales or inventing things just for the fun of it. Like, he just wasn't that type of person. Um, but both of us saw it. My mother didn't see it. And um, and so that's kind of um, a couple of, of UFOs that I saw in my childhood. Um, and then we saw another one over my grandparents' house. And it was just me and my dad this time. My mother's at home. And we had gone to visit my grandparents or, or help them with something. Um, and it was at nighttime again. And they had this long driveway coming out of their house. Um, and they had these tall pine trees on either side of the driveway. So if you're pulling out, if you look up through the windshield, all you can see is this strip of night sky and pine trees on either side. 
And I remember being a little kid, you know, I'm always looking up out of the window and my dad's pulling out of the driveway. So he's looking, you know, back behind us to make sure he doesn't, you know, hit a tree or the, the mailbox or anything like that. And I'm looking up and I'm like, dad, what's that? And he goes, what's what? And I go, uh, that up there above the driveway. And my dad, you know, puts the car in park and, and looks out the window and he sees what I'm seeing and he's like, I don't know. And what we were looking at was, I mean, it was almost like something from um, Close Encounters. Um, it was your standard disc-shaped UFO. It had multicolored lights on the bottom and it was just hovering over the driveway. It was stationary. It wasn't moving back or forward or side to side or anything, but it was rotating. Um, and I mean, it was very close. Like, I mean, you could, I mean, you probably couldn't hit it with a rock, but it was definitely probably about, you know, 20 yards or so above the tree line. Um, and it, it was very close. And, you know, there was no beam of light that came down, uh, not, nothing like that. And we didn't feel any sense of dread or, like, unease, anything like that. There was no missing time. But, you know, we continued to watch it. And eventually it just sort of slowly moved off to the side. And I can't remember how long we stared at it. It wasn't that long. But I remember we just, my dad put the car in reverse again, pulled out of the driveway, and we went home. And we told my mother about it, and once again, she was jealous that she didn't get to see it. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, what I had for my experiences with UFOs at a young age. And um, later on in life, I would see more of them. You know, like that wasn't the last time I saw a UFO. There was one time when I was in college and I was living in um, in Columbia and I was driving back home um, one weekend and I am driving down um, Shop Road in a, out of one of the main roads out of town and there's this kind of like this metalworks um, uh, I don't know what you would call it it was it was like a it's like a, a metal processing plant or manufacturing plant, um, steel works or something like that. And anyways, it's, it's this, you know, sort of hangar style, um, uh, workshop off to the left, off to the road. And as I'm approaching it, I see these three, um, red lights and they're just stationary. And so I assume that it's the, the three lights on the, um, the the uh the poles to you know like a radio tower or something like that because you know as you go up a radio tower uh you've you've got lights intermittently so that you know aircraft aren't crashing into them and um and as i get closer i notice there are no support beams you know there's there's no poles there so these are just three red lights that are hovering in the air and so i'm i'm intrigued now and as i get closer um, I'm beginning to, to make out a shape that there is a black triangle um, and that these red lights are at the three points to the triangle. And now I notice that there is a, a larger white light in the center of it. And so I, I'm getting closer to it and I slow down and I kind of pull off to the side of the road. 
And I notice now that there are two other cars pulled off to the side of the road, and they're looking at this thing. And so I kind of roll my window down, and I don't know what it is about, like, encounters with UFOs or anything like that, but I didn't even think, like, hey, I've got to grab my phone and take a video of this. I, I was too busy just looking at it, thinking, you know, if it flies away, I'm not going to get a good chance to observe it. I just need to, like, focus on this for right now. And I remember watching it, and it is a jet black, like obsidian black, a triangular craft with three red lights at each point and, um, and a larger white light in the middle. And it's just slowly rotating and hovering over the steelworks. And it's right above the treetops. I mean, this one, you could hit it with a rock. Um, and we're just sitting there watching it for a minute. And then all of a sudden... It just accelerates and and books it out of there. And so I remember being like, wow, I, I saw another UFO. That was insane. And I keep driving down the highway. And shortly after seeing it, I see it drop out of the sky again. And at a extremely fast speed, it makes a almost a complete 90-degree turn from its vertical descent into a horizontal acceleration. I mean, 90-degree turn in the middle of an acceleration and just ab zooms off in, into the, you know, into the distance. And then right after it, I see two F-16s chase it. Um, and so that was really interesting for me. I was like, I don't know why these F-16s... I don't know if they're escorting it or i mean attempting to escort it or attempting to chase it but they uh, there's no way that these things were catching up to this craft so um so that was interesting and that was another um experience that i had with the ufo um there was another time um that i had uh, a strange experience in the house that i lived at um and next to a pond and this was an experience with what I guess you would call ball lightning. And I'm sitting on the couch and I'm I'm watching TV and it's at night. <clears throat> my my mother's upstairs in her computer room, my dad's in his office. And um so off to the left is the kitchen and there's, you know, all these appliances over there and everything. And I'm watching TV and out of the corner of my eye I see this ball of light that passes through a kitchen window and I mean the windows closed nothing there but there's this mass of light and I mean it's about the size of a, a cantaloupe so it's it's pretty big but it's just this ball of light and it passes through the window and out of my periphery I see it and I sort of glance over and I'm watching this thing hover through the kitchen and it gets right next to our microwave and it just goes pop and it just explodes. And I mean, it, it's not like, you know, um, a, a combustion sort of explosion. It's almost like when static electricity dispels and you get that really quick snap and then it's gone. And that's what it was like. And so, you know, I can't say for a fact whether it was something supernatural or spiritual or anything like that, or whether it's just ball lightning of a, a scientific nature where, you know, you have these phenomena where lightning 
or static electricity sort of gathers together and these ions form together in a ball and they can travel for extremely long distances until they something metallic or electronic triggers them and they pop and sort of dis- diffuse um but yeah, i thought it was something worth mentioning in this this podcast um then we had um one instance where there was kind of this uh, strange encounter with something in the woods over in my neighborhood, and I'm I'm riding my bike, and it's in the daytime, but it's you know it's dusk, so it's starting to get dark, and I'm riding my bike around, and there's this little um, this little cut next to a house at the end of of the neighborhood, and you go through this little cut, and there's kind of a uh, an opening, a clearing in the woods, um, and um, and then you get into the, the, the forest, and um, this forest goes back um, across the side of a, a major road, but, I mean, it's, it's just woods, and there's a couple houses back there. Uh, but I'm riding my bike, and I stop on this trail, and because I think my, the, the bicycle chain fell off the spokes, so I'm, I'm fixing the bicycle chain. So I fix it, and I, I hear this rustling off in the distance, and I look up, and it's now dark enough that there's, you know, I, I've still got light to see, but I can't quite make out this figure that's in the distance. And it's kind of bulky, and it's it's not tall, but it's, you know, uh, about my height, maybe a little taller. And I, I'm thinking that it's like a kid in a, uh, one of those husky, like, winter coats, um, or coveralls, or something like that. But it's just kind of watching me, and I can't make out a face or any other features, but it's kind of like swaying from side to side, back and forth, just watching me. And it just kind of stands there, and I remember going, hello? And it stops, and all of a sudden, it just charges me. And I am so freaked out, I I don't stop. I get on my bike, I pedal out of there, and I've never pedaled so hard in my life. Because I don't know what this thing's going to do if it actually catches up to me. If it's a kid and he's, you know, just going to laugh and be like, ah, I got you. Or if they're planning to, like, snatch me. Or if it was someone who was angry I was on their property. I don't know. But anyways, it I couldn't tell what it was. But it definitely charged me from the woods, which is enough to freak any kid out. Um, and I just got on my bike and I rode away. It, it didn't pursue me past the wood line. Um, but it was just weird that I couldn't make out any sort of, uh, visible attributes about it or textures, anything. It was just like a bulky figure watching me from the woods and then it charges me. Um, so then we've got, um, another scenario which happened to someone close to me, um, someone who I trust implicitly. And uh, they actually had an abduction experience. And, um, and so this person was at a, um, at a camp up in the mountains. And uh, they were there for about a week. And they, had a, they were staying in kind of like a college dormitory. And so they had a roommate with them and everything. And I remember um, that they said they, they were sleeping one night and they woke up. And they 
felt the presence of someone else there with them. And they look at the, the door to the, the dorm room and these three, what most people would describe as gray aliens, um, came through the door. They didn't open the door. They, they passed physically through the door. Um, and they had some sort of gurney or cot with them. Um, and they, this, this person tried to scream, um, but no sound came out. And the, um, the, the roommate that was with them did not wake up. Um, so it was, it was almost like the, the sound was being isolated just to them that no one else could hear the scream. Um, and that these grays levitated this person off the bed onto this gurney or, or cot whatever it was, and that with them, they passed through the door again. And the next thing they know, they're inside what what could be described as a craft or some sort of room. You know, it, it could have been underground. It could have been some in another dimension. Who knows? But they were in a room <clears throat> with a table, an observation table. It was dark except for lights that were over the table. And they were placed on the table, and experiments were conducted on them. And um, it's at this point that I don't really know um, what happened because um, they were traumatized by this event that they, for a long time afterwards, did not like to talk about it, couldn't watch anything with aliens on TV because it was just... Um, it just reminded them of that experience, and so um, they didn't really talk too much about what happened, but they, they said it was painful, um, not enjoyable at all, and that the feeling they got from these entities was a cold, calculating, scientific sort of unfeeling observation, um, that there was almost no no soul, um, no, no emotion to it, that it was all just observation and, and deduction. Um, and it was just, just cold like space. Um, and so, um, when, when they returned from this, this trip, <clears throat> they showed me, they, they told me about this experience and I believed them and they showed me on their arms in the crook of the elbow and on the exterior of the elbow, there were bruises in the shape of um, handprints, like someone had grabbed them by the by the the elbows and had just squeezed really hard. And on both both arms, they had these imprints, these these bruises in the shape of of handprints. And that just lent more to the idea and, and to the validity of, um, of their story because this isn't the type of person who makes up stories about these things. Uh, they have a very scientific mindset, very logical. Um, they, they don't even believe anything unless there is uh, a wealth of evidence to prove something. So they just don't go up making stories about this. And they certainly um, aren't prone to irrational behavior or um, uh, 
or night terrors or anything like that. They just, they had this experience. They had physical evidence to prove it. And um, they just had the standing with me that, that I believed them when they told me about this. Um, so I remember that night praying that nothing like this would ever happen again. I prayed um, in the name of Jesus against the, um, the forces of evil and forces of darkness in the spiritual realms um, and commanded them not to uh, continue to haunt or to harm this person. And there have been no more experiences like this. And that's one thing about um, supernatural encounters and encounters with with what people call extraterrestrials is that uh, they definitely seem to have a negative reaction to the name of Jesus, um, which suggests more of an interdimensional uh, type of nature rather than interplanetary or intergalactic or anything like that. But I could go on about that and I could dedicate all of that to another episode. So, um, Without further ado, I guess we come to uh, the part where we talk about the good stuff. Um, now, obviously, the angelic encounter that I had, I label that as the good stuff. Um, and, of course, I've uh, continued, um, you know, seeing UFOs from time to time. And I, I, you know, I just kind of like to observe and watch and not let my interests get to the best of me. But, um... But let's talk about some of the um, encounters that we've had with the, the, the light side, if you will, the um, encounters with, uh, with God and, and hearing his voice and um, all the good stuff in life. So I remember one day that um, I was in my bedroom and I was... was kind of just feeling distraught at the time and I was down in the dumps and I didn't know what to do where to go um, what steps to take next and I just remember I prayed and I asked God you know my I'm like in tears at this point and I just asked God what is it that you want me to do and audibly like over my shoulder uh, in my ear I, I hear this voice and all it says is, play me a song. And I remember that just made me like burst into tears even more because I'm thinking to myself, the, the God of this universe who created all things, who has the power to unmake me, you know, I, I ask him, what, what does he want me to do? And out of all the thousands of things he can ask me to do, all the commands that he can give me, the one that he says is, play me a song. He just wants to hear me play him a song and so I did um, and I remember that being one of the more joyful times in my life when when I audibly heard the voice of God and it, it comforted me um, beyond you know beyond words um, they say that you know God's peace is a peace that passes all understanding and that was definitely something that brought me a peace that passes all understanding um, and I've had a lot of encounters like this where I've just kind of felt God's presence. And, you know, it's, it's not very often that he speaks in an audible voice, but sometimes you can feel the Holy Spirit uh, kind of putting his hand on your shoulder or leading you in a certain way. I remember I had a friend named David, 
and um, growing up as kids, we spent a lot of time together climbing trees and trudging through swamps and things of that nature. And his dad was uh, the the priest, uh, the rector at our church for a long time. Very philosophical guy, sort of you know C.S. Lewis type of uh, scholar. And um, and David and I were in the uh, in the chapel, and um, someone's praying over him. And in the middle of the prayer, he just starts giggling. And, you know, we're, we're like, you know, David, what's going on? And he says, his hair is tickling my nose. And we're like, whose hair? And he's like, Jesus's hair. It's tickling my nose. And so apparently as, as we're praying, he's got this vision of Jesus standing over him, sort of looking down at him um, eye to eye. And and he just has this sensation of Jesus's hair that's sort of hanging down and it's it's tickling his nose, and um and so that was that that was sort of a lighthearted you know fun experience um, with the spiritual side of things and um and an encounter with Jesus, um and my father actually had plenty of those types of encounters and um. Unfortunately, he he passed away um, about six years ago, um, but um, my father was a very um, devout Christian. He was a man of God. He was he was a good man. He he was a family man, and um, you know I know that that he went to be with the Lord, and that I'll get to see him again someday. But I I specifically remember that when he was in his his final days um and weeks um he he was just sleeping a lot um but he would he would tell me and my mother that when he would go to sleep he would have this reoccurring dream and he would dream that he was in the mountains and that he was hiking <clears throat> and that he would walk up this mountain trail and he would come to a cabin a log cabin in the mountains, and that he would walk up to the door, he would open the door, and when he would walk inside of this cabin, Jesus was there. And Jesus was waiting for him, and um, there was a fire going in the fireplace, and he would sit down with Jesus, and they would just talk. And they would have these long conversations. And he didn't tell me the specifics about what what went on or what was discussed in these conversations. Um, but it was probably just about life in general and, and preparing him for the new world that he was about to enter. Um, and it was just every time my father would go to sleep, he would go back to this cabin in the woods and Jesus would always be in this cabin and they'd sit down and just talk like old friends. Um, and, you know, the, the last thing that my father highlighted in his Bible, um, he, he underlined it and he would do a Bible study every single morning. He would get up, I mean, before the sun got up and he would he'd get up and he'd make a cup of coffee and he'd read his Bible. And the last thing that he underlined before he passed away was, um, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Um, and it was just, it was so my dad, like it was just, 
<clears throat> something that that was very much in his character to underline um, as his last, you know, Bible study because um, he was a completely selfless person. He he didn't think of himself. Um, he would always put others' needs um, or even desires above his own. Um, he would he would stop and drop everything to help someone. Um, and you know, even in the midst of of his illness, um, he never let it get him down. Like he was never that person that was like, "Woe is me," you know. You know, everyone needs to take care of me. He was still just that same guy that was just, you know, cared for his family and wanted them to be happy, and wanted them to not worry about him. Um, and you know, thankfully he he passed um, at home and um, was surrounded by family and friends and it was a beautiful sunny day Um, and it was one of the most peaceful passings that I had ever seen and um, and tons of family members and friends and and especially um, people at our church um, said that they had just gotten these feelings or or visions um, of him uh, walking in heaven and being with the Lord and, and walking through fields of lavender and things like that. And it was just really amazing the things that, um, that people reported to, uh, to me and, and my family. Um, and so I have no doubt that he's with the Lord and that I'll see him again. Um, so that's kind of the stories of experiences with God and, um, and hearing his voice and, um, having visions of him or experiences in dreams with him. Um, so the last thing that I want to talk about is just some local legends in South Carolina because we actually have a few. Um, so <clears throat> on the the coast of South Carolina, um, we have the legend of the Gray Man. And the Gray Man is um, a, a phenomenon that happens before hurricanes hit. And so they say that when there's a tropical storm or a hurricane approaching on the coast um, near Charleston and, and um, sort of the, the southeastern part of, of South Carolina, that um, you might see a man in an all-gray suit um, walking along the beach. And the gray man is supposed to be a warning to residents in the coastal regions that there's a storm approaching and that you need to leave or evacuate because it's going to be devastating to homes in the area. And some believe that this gray man was, um, a sailor or someone whose, whose ship, um, was, um, destroyed in a hurricane, um, on his way home. And that, uh, to ensure that no one else, uh, suffered the same fate as him, that he would appear on the coasts, um, and, and walk down the beaches to warn people when a hurricane was approaching. So that's the, the legend of the gray man. Um, <clears throat> also in Charleston, I mean, you have the Gullah culture down there. Um, and there's no shortage of, of supernatural beliefs and superstitions, um, of, uh, plat eyes, which are these sort of, uh, ghoulish sort of creatures with very large plate-like eyes, um, hence the term plat eye, and that it's kind of a mix between like a, a, a ghost, a zombie, 
and a ghoul all at the same time that these are um, creatures that that haunt the night that if you're out wandering in the marshes or um, or in the cemeteries that you might uh, run across a plat eye um, you also have the haints which are the um, the the evil ghosts um, and you'll see a lot of of homes um, around the Charleston area that will have um, sort of sky blue shutters um, next to their windows and it's it's said that if you paint your your shutters um, sort of that sky blue that it helps to ward off the haints um, and then another legend uh, from that region are the boo hags and the boo hags are kind of in that category of um, night terrors where um, you know you you sense a presence in your room at night and uh, you feel a weight on your chest and it feels like you can't breathe and you're suffocating and um, oftentimes um, <clears throat> you wake up in the morning with scratches on your body um, and it's it's said that this is the boo hag and that she comes and visits you in your sleep and she sits on your chest and scratches you um, and that the the only way to um, to destroy the boo hag is that she she's said to be sort of like a a, um, a skin changer and that she slips out of her skin at night that she's usually like a, a normal person but she discards her skin at night she slips out of it and um, and flies through the night and and haunts people in their sleep and that before um, the the dawn comes that she goes back to her skin and she puts it back on and so the only way to destroy a boo hag is before dawn arrives you have to locate her skin and you have to pour salt into it uh, which of course salt is a, a purifier um, and so that assures that she cannot get back into her own skin because it it itches and it, it burns and so without being able to get back into her skin by morning uh, when the sun is up uh, she basically becomes a spirit and is is no longer able to take physical form um, so that's kind of the stories about uh, plat eyes haints and boo hags and then of course famously enough you have the lizard man of bishopville south carolina and um, this is a story that goes back um, roughly, I think it was around the 1950s. Um, <clears throat> but you in Bishopville, South Carolina, a sleepy little town, um, you've got a uh, police officer who is uh, confronted by a very frightened uh, young man who comes to the police station and reports that um, he has been chased by a reptilian-like creature. Um, and so the police officer sits him down and asks him what exactly happened. And he said that his, his car had gotten a flat tire. And so he pulls off the side of the road and he is fixing the flat tire. And he hears some sounds in the woods behind him. Um, and this takes place uh, near uh, Scape or Swamp. And so he, he looks behind him into the, the, the swamp and he sees this very tall sort of like eight foot tall creature um, behind a tree and unfortunately it's it's nighttime so it's too dark for him to make out exactly um, what color it is but it, it looked to be sort of a grayish green color um, with scaly skin um, clawed 
type fingers and a um, smooth, uh, hairless head um, with uh, bright, glowing uh, red eyes, and that it starts to approach him. And so, feeling scared, he uh, he packs his his stuff up, um, his his tire iron, puts it back in the car, and starts walking around uh, to his, his driver's side door, and the thing charges at him from the woods. And so he quickly gets into his car, turns the ignition, uh, puts the pedal to the metal, and, and drives off. Uh, little does he know that, that he is being followed. This creature is actually keeping up with his car. And so all of a sudden he hears this bang on the hood of the car, and through the windshield he sees that this creature has now latched onto the, the hood of his car, um, and is looking at him through the windshield. And so he's kind of swerving a bit and, and trying to shake it off. And so eventually he's able to, to shake the creature off. And it kind of rolls off the side of the car, um, leaving scratch marks down the side. And he's reporting it to this police officer. And the police officer's like, okay, um, can you draw it for me? And so he draws it, and you can find it online. It's a very crude sort of drawing, <clears throat> but it has like a reptilian appearance. Um and uh, they even subjected this guy to a polygraph test, which he passed. So, you know, he's definitely not lying about what he saw. So the question really is, what did he see? Did he see a lizard man? Did he see something else that he mis mistook for a lizard man? Um, but there have been a couple other sightings of it. Um, recent, more recently, there was a pilot um, who, while he was taxiing uh, down his runway and picking up speed... Uh, about to take off, and this was in the middle of the daytime, he saw a reptilian creature come out of the woods, um, the tree line, and he thought that he was going to run into it because he was at a takeoff speed at this point, so he couldn't stop the plane. Um, but the creature quickly walks across the, the flight line and into the woods on the other side, and he says that from time to time he hears really weird noises um, coming from the, the, the swamp around his, around his house. Um, so that's, that's briefly the story of the Lizard Man. But if you want more, visit Bishopville, South Carolina. You can even get a Lizard Man t-shirt or other merchandise that they sell um, at some of the local uh, restaurants and, and places around there. So that basically um, does it for this episode of um, A Brush with the Supernatural. Um, the question of the day that we have is what kind of supernatural encounters, if any, have you had in your own life? And these can be good ones. These can be uh, frightening ones. These can be strange ones. Uh, anything that you want to talk about. What kinds of brushes with the supernatural have you had in your life? You can reply on Spotify. You can reply on Facebook. Um and uh, just let us know what you think. We love hearing from you guys. Uh, we've been uh, actually really pleased with the, the listeners. Um, if we can get more, just if you know anyone who has not tuned in yet or anyone who you think would be interested in the podcast, let them know. We talk about a different topic every week, so um, always changing it up. If you have any suggestions, go on the Facebook and let us know what you would like to hear us talk about. And we'll be sure to uh, to discuss it and see if we can't get a podcast on some of your interests. So um, that'll do it for this episode. 
Again, go visit our Facebook page, uh, like us, follow us for more updates, um, and we will see you guys in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in. Y'all be blessed. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.